So my message today is kind of in two parts. I want to like give you a bit of a taster. And so today I want to base my message off one main portion of Scripture, but I'm going to be coming at it from a different angle and picking up on a different part of it tonight, which I'm really excited to do. But this morning, we're going to kick off with 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, I'm starting with a slightly longer portion of Scripture. I wouldn't usually do this, but I want us to get a good foundation and a good basis for what we're diving into today. Um, and that way I don't need to read the whole thing again tonight because you've already heard it and you're poised and you're ready to go. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It'll be on the screen. It's also in your note on your Elam app there. You can follow along with me. It says uh, from verse 7, the old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. This is referring to the moment that Moses went up Mount Sinai, he went up and down a couple of times, and he got the law from God. And as he comes down the mountain to give the law to the people, they can sh- see that his face is shining with glory because he's been face to face with God. So it says, For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not even glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. I love this. He's like, if you think the old way was good, if you think the old way was glorious, you're not going to believe how good the new way is. So if the old, which has been replaced, was glorious, even though it brought condemnation, it's still considered glorious. If that was glorious, then how much more glorious is the new which remains forever. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. So when Moses came down the mountain, he put this veil over his face to cover the glory. They couldn't really see it properly. But every time he went into the tent of meeting, this is the place where Moses would meet face to face with God, he would remove the veil. Every time he went in there, he knew that removing the veil was necessary for closeness and intimacy with God. He, he was happy to cover it with the people, but with God, he wanted to remove the veil. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant, this is the Old Testament, the old agreement between God and people was being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. It's like the truth is right in front of them. It's literally right there in Scripture, but somehow there's this veil over and they can't quite see it. It says, and this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away for the Spirit, sorry, for the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect. Everyone say see and reflect. The veil's removed. I've got freedom. It allows me to see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Give yourself a round of applause. That was great listening. We're starting a brand new series today called Outpouring. And the whole point of this is to focus in and explore the power of the Holy Spirit. It makes sense that we start at the beginning. Right back in the book of Genesis, in chapter 1, verse 26, God said this. He said, let us make people in our image or human beings in our image so that they can be like us. That's interesting. He says us. 
There needs to be more than one to say us. I can't say us about me. That would make me weird. But God says, let us make people in our image. So this is the first indication that we get that God doesn't exist in singularity, but He exists in community. And the word spirit in the Bible, the original word is the word ruach, which means wind or breath. And often attached to this is the word hakodesh. So you'll read it if you read the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it'll say <laughs> ruach hakodesh, which means Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. He's not just an energy, a theology, or a sensation, but the Holy Spirit is a person. God exists as three in one. Now, that's not three different gods working in unison, but that's a three-person God, each with authority, each with power, each with personality, and yet they exist, exist in perfect harmony, cohesion, and oneness. One God, three persons. I know that's a little confusing. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I need you to know this morning that you yourself were designed to live in relationship with the Holy Spirit. You might say, but what about the Father? What about the Son? Like, is it just one of them? God's presence on the earth is the Holy Spirit. Every time you sense God's presence, you get a nudge, you get an inkling, like something's going on. That's you interacting with the Holy Spirit. And when you build intimacy and relationship with Him, you also at the same time know the Father and the Son. There are just so many Christians living this flat, worn out, lifeless version of Christianity. And the reason is, is because it's not our works that get us saved. It's a free gift of salvation. It's offered to us. So we accept that free gift of salvation that Jesus made a way for on the cross. That's amazing. You're set free. But we sort of turn our back on and we ignore the helper. When Jesus was preparing to be crucified, He said to the disciples, the believers at the time, He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait there. And, and I want you to wait because I'm sending someone that will change your reality. I'm sending the helper. I'm sending the comforter. I'm sending the advocate. He was saying, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Yes, you're saved, but you were always meant to be empowered. And so he sends them there so that they could be empowered to live this Christian life. Now, there aren't many churches around that would deny the existence of the Holy Spirit. It's abundantly clear in Scripture. It's right there. But what we see sometimes in certain churches or environments or among certain people, it's not that we ignore them. We just don't really know how to approach them. We don't quite know what to do with them. So we sort of put them into the corner and every now and then we mention his name and we're like, Father, Son, you're like, but the Holy Spirit, I don't quite know what to do with that. Kind of like a moody, moody teenager. Like, I don't quite know how to approach. I'll just leave them and... And let it go. But the Holy Spirit is God and He wants to know you and He wants to be close to you. He is the one that brings life. Uh, in the year 325 AD, quite a while ago, they, there was this summarizing statement of core Christian beliefs that was presented and agreed upon by every single major Christian denomination. It's called the Nicene Creed. They gathered for this gathering and said, what is like the most fundamental thing that makes Christians Christians? You can have other fringe beliefs like, you know, certain things like, oh, we can agree to disagree, but we're united on the main thing. So this creed was about the main things. And when referring to the Holy Spirit, it's worded like this, referred to as the Lord, the giver of life. I love that that the Holy Spirit in our life would bring us life. He is the giver of life. Now, as Darcy and I prepare ourselves for the arrival of our little one in a few weeks, hopefully three and a half weeks-ish and not earlier, amen, maybe, um, I've been having some conversations with parents and asking them, what was it like when your first child arrived on the scene? And there seems to be a sort of common statement that goes down. It's like, 
when it's just you and your spouse, you get used to life. It's just the two of you. You can do what you want. You can go where you want, when you want. There's not all these extra costs. Like You have so much freedom. And while you know there's a baby in there, there's part of it that doesn't quite feel real. But the moment that they're born, the moment that you hold them in your hands, it's like in that instant, you could not imagine your life without them. It's like your whole world changes and your whole world is redirected. I can't wait for that moment. But I got to say this, I already feel that about the Holy Spirit. Like if you don't know, you don't know. But now that I do, man, I couldn't imagine my life without the Holy Spirit in it. You come to know and understand that we were always meant to be in relationship with Him. In Acts chapter 19, Paul travels to the church of Ephesus and he's visiting the Christians there. And he, the Bible says he goes and finds some believers. So these are people who are already Christians. He goes up to them and he asks them this question. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And then he says, then what baptism did you experience? And they said, well, we experienced the baptism of John, which means getting baptized in water. And he goes on to say, that's fine. That's legitimate. That's an amazing way to be baptized. Jesus did. He commanded it. All good. But he's like, I want you to understand that there's a different way to be baptized. And the way it's worded is it says, there's a different way to be baptized. It's to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, when you get baptized in water, it is also in the name of Jesus. But he was referring to a different way. See, to be baptized is to be fully immersed in to go completely under, to be like soaked. That's why when we baptize people in water, I know many of us have gone across to celebrate this people, they go fully under the water because Jesus fully died, not just kind of half. And then he came all the way up into brand new life. And so we come all the way up into brand new life. And so he's trying to say, there's this other way to be baptized. And so he lays hands on them. He prays for them. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they begin speaking in other tongues that they didn't know. And they begin prophesying. They were baptized, completely covered and soaked in the Holy Spirit. The power of God filled their life and enabled them to do things that they were previously not able to do. But every Christian was designed to have that. Not just the Pentecostals, not just the happy clappies, not just like the hard outs, but every Christian was designed to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be empowered to do things that we in our own strength cannot do. In fact, I want to show you a couple of quick occasions where the Holy Spirit turns up in a powerful way early on in the New Testament. The first one is that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. Sorry, that's the second one. Oh, Holy Spirit came down for the conception of Jesus. When Jesus was conceived by Mary, this a crazy moment where she's conceived, it's the supernatural moment. And Gabriel, the angel, says to Mary in Luke 1.35, says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. The supernatural event allowed the sinless Son of God to enter the world as a human being. You might say, so what? Well, that reminds me and opens my eyes to the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings brand new life. Secondly, the Holy Spirit, you got a taste it earlier, descended upon Jesus at His baptism. The Spirit of God came upon Him at the beginning of His earthly ministry and stayed with Him throughout. The Bible says that at His baptism, when He was getting baptized in water, the Holy Spirit descended upon Him like a dove. And John the Baptist, who was the one baptizing Jesus in water, said this at that moment after visibly seeing the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus. He said in John 1.33, he says, I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, when you see the Holy Spirit descending and resting upon someone, he is the one you are looking for. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. 
See, the people had been waiting generations for this person to finally be identified. But it was the Holy Spirit that identified and called out Jesus according to his purpose. And the same can be said about us. When the Holy Spirit affirms your value and your calling, you'll never be the same. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit descended upon believers on the day of Pentecost. After Jesus uh, was crucified, was resurrected, he then ascended to heaven, and the Holy Spirit came down upon all the believers that were gathered in that place. In fact, we read that Jesus exercised his authority as the Messiah to pour out the Holy Spirit upon others. Peter said this to the crowd that day in Acts 2.33. He says, Now he, talking about Jesus, is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he promised, gave him, Jesus, the Holy Spirit to pour out on us, just as you see and hear today. So Jesus is the one that pours out the Holy Spirit. It's like an outpouring from heaven that filled every single believer in that place. It's from there that the early church exploded because now you didn't just have Christians that were saved by grace, but you had Christians that were empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out their purpose. There is a call on your life to make a difference. You're not the savior of the world. We've already got one of those, but there is a purpose on your life and the Spirit gives you boldness, courage, and wisdom to actually see that out. He is the one that empowers and enables. All right, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to read that final part to you again. It says, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, for the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. That's so interesting. It's like the veil was synonymous with freedom. The veil keeps us blinded. The veil keeps us bound. The veil gets in the way of the truth. The veil is the one that ties us back to the bondage of the Old Testament law. But it's in His presence that the veil is lifted. Why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to remove the veil. And this verse is telling us, if the veil is removed, you have freedom. And what does that freedom look like? You can see and reflect. That's what it looks like. If you truly have freedom and the veil has been lifted, it allows you to see and reflect the glory of the Lord, to see the glory of God in your life and to reflect the glory of God in your life. My first main thought for this morning is that freedom brings clarity. It actually allows you to see clearly the goodness of God and the glory of this new covenant, this new way to be made right with Him. If you've ever um, been to a more traditional wedding, maybe you had a more traditional wedding, you may have seen uh, the bride wearing a veil. It's like a short piece of lace that's pinned to the hair and it hangs down over their face. Did anyone wear one of those when getting married? A few people? Yeah, they're awesome. Titus, shut up, eh? <laughs> um, I'm calling you out. You have to wear one of those on your wedding day now. It's like a short piece of lace and it's like, it's like a covering, but it's not a complete covering. You can kind of see through, but not really. Like the groom can see his bride, but not in her full glory. Like he can see that she's there, but he can't see everything just yet. But when is it that the veil is removed? It's at the time of the kiss, right? Thank God for that. Be awkward, like a choking hazard. But they lift the veil when? At the moment of intimacy. The veil is lifted when there's a moment of closeness. And that's why when Moses went into the tent of meeting to meet with God face to face, he actually lifted the veil so that he could come close to God. 
It's, it's being tied to the Old Testament law, thinking that we need to measure up and be good enough that puts the veil over our eyes and heart. We still think that we need to perform and that brings condemnation. It's still thinking that it's about what you do and not what Jesus has already done that allows our vision to be restricted and tainted. It's like, you know, breakthroughs right there, but you can't quite see it. You know, healing is right there, but you can't quite see it. I can't wait to pray for healing tonight. People are going to get healed and set free. It's like, you know, that provision is right there, but you just can't see it yet. The veil is limiting what you see, but the power of the Holy Spirit wants to lift the veil so that you can see the glory of the Lord in your life. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that He wants to bring clarity to your life. Come on, do you have clarity today, not just on who you are, but on whose you are? Who you belong to? Do you have clarity on your inheritance as a son or a daughter of the King? Do you come before God like He's your heavenly Father? Did you walk in today humbly, but also boldly knowing that God wants to fill your life and give you hope even though you didn't all get it all right this week? I love Hebrews 4.16. It says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, like we can run like nothing's holding us back. There we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. See, what the enemy will do is sell you cheap lies. He'll try to have you believe that you're a disappointment to God that He's ashamed of you, that you should just give up now, that you've disqualified yourself from His grace. But the Holy Spirit lifts the veil so that you can see, so that you can understand that you are no longer bound by the death, the condemnation, and the bondage of the old law, but you have been set free by the power of the cross. That's why John 8.36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to see clearly the glory of God in your life. I'm telling you, this is going to lift the weight off your shoulders. It's not about you measuring up, but it's about what He's already done. It's not about making a way because He's already made it. It's not about earning His love and grace because He offers it to you in your brokenness. It's not about walking alone. It's about living and walking in intimacy and relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings freedom and that freedom brings clarity. I don't know if you've ever heard that the Holy Spirit is a weightlifter. He lifts. He lifts the weight off our shoulders. You can come in feeling heavy, but the Holy Spirit is the one that makes you feel light. He allows us to rest in His grace. Those who are free can see the glory of God in their life. Freedom brings clarity. And secondly this morning, freedom dethrones performance. Freedom brings clarity, allows us to see the glory of the Lord, but freedom also dethrones performance. Paul says that those who have been set free have had the veil removed. So not only can they see the glory of God, but they've been empowered to reflect the glory of God. You know, the Holy Spirit wants to fill each of our lives to help us live more like Jesus. Man, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I just feel inadequate. I think, man, I can't do that. I read that Jesus hung out with lepers. And I think, when's the last time I crossed the barrier of social norm to hang out with the marginalized? You know, I read that, that Jesus um, welcomed persecution and trusted God in the process. Anytime I go through anything hard or anything in my life slightly resembling persecution, I just whinge and moan. I feel sorry for myself. I'm nothing like Jesus when I face a hard time. When I read that Jesus forgave the worst of the worst, man, I'm like, I'm challenged by that. The thought of me forgiving what might be described as some of the worst criminals in our society, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. But that's exactly the point. I can't. I don't have it within me, but the Holy Spirit enables me to do it. I can't do it in my own strength, but with His help, I can. You can't do it in your own strength either. The Holy Spirit enables us to live beyond our means. He empowers us because He's transforming us, molding us, changing us, and setting us free. 
You know, freedom doesn't mean just go and do whatever you want. Freedom means I don't have to strive to make something of my life in my own strength. I don't have to strive. I don't have to figure it all out. I don't have to rationalize everything, but I can simply choose to put my trust in God and allow Him to lead me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 says, It is God's will that your honorable life should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Get this, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Don't just do whatever you like. It says, respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I shared that same scripture. And the context of it is that he's writing this when the governmental leaders are really bad leaders. And yet he says to those people, I need you to understand that you are free. And you are free because even though you're under bad leadership, you don't actually answer to them. You answer to God. And so freedom, therefore, is not a matter of what is or isn't happening to us. It's a matter of who we answer to. You know, I'm completely free of every expectation that the world might have on me. Honestly, I don't give a flying rip what the world thinks I should be, how I should be, how I should act. It's quite funny the amount of people who are not Christians try to tell me how I should be as a Christian. Like, that's interesting that you have a perspective on how I should be. Um, I'll just follow Jesus. Um, I'm free of all of those expectations, and yet I'm completely and utterly enslaved under the will of God. And I'm telling you, I've never felt more free, because freedom is about who I answer to. And he's a loving father that welcomes me in. John Diefenbaker, you probably never heard of him, but he's the 13th president of Canada. And he said this, he said, freedom is the right to be wrong, not the right to do wrong. Freedom says, look, I can, but I feel empowered not to. It's enticing, but I feel empowered to lift my gaze higher. It's tempting, but I feel empowered to turn my back and run. It's heavy, but I feel empowered to hand it over to God. In my own strength and wisdom, I'm selfish. I'm inadequate. I'm impatient. I'm ill-equipped. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life, the Bible uses the word fruit. We might use the word result. The result of the Holy Spirit working in your life, it produces this fruit. Things like love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the life of a Christian should look like who was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Ben, you guys can join me. One of the most crazy challenges I've ever read in the Bible, and maybe you've heard it, is where you read, God says, be holy as I am holy. Oh, I read that and I go, there's no chance of that happening. Like either God's not very holy and like the target's real low and I can probably do it, but I know that's not the case. Or actually, I'm not meant to do it in my own strength. I was never required to. To be holy like God is holy? What? The King of heaven, set apart, righteous, holy, and I'm meant to be like that? Man, I'm so glad I don't have to figure that out. I'm so glad I don't have to strive. I don't have to work. I don't have to be smart enough or good enough or wealthy enough. I don't have to make that happen in my own strength. But it's because of the victory on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit that I'm able to live in freedom, to trust Him in the process You know, we have the freedom to build our life on the foundation of Christ. You can read Scripture and you can see, well, if Jesus did it that way, I'll just do it that way. If Jesus loved people like that, I'm just going to love people like that. I might have my own ideas, but it doesn't matter. I'm just going to follow Jesus. If Jesus welcomed in those that society rejected, I'll just do that. Can I tell you how free that makes me? I don't have to figure out the right path. I just have a perfect example right in front of me. And I don't have to do it in my own strength, but the Holy Spirit empowers me to do it. The same can be said for you. I've been gifted a roadmap for my life and it's like this clear signpost the whole way along.
Now, there's a reason that you can come into church feeling burdened, but somehow you can leave feeling free. There's a reason why you can have had a really hard week and you're feeling really heavy and you just don't want to turn up to small group, to be honest, but you do anyway. And somehow when you're there around other believers, it just feels like the weight has been lifted. There's a reason why when you take a moment to pray with your family, it brings peace and assurance that God is with you. It's because God's presence helps to strip away the pressure to perform. And it reminds you that you are in fact already free. The veil might be blinding you, but God wants to remove it out of your way. Get it out so that you can see this new covenant, this new way to be made right with God. And it's far more glorious than the old way so that you can see the glory of God in your life and reflect the glory of God throughout your week. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Bows the question, then where is He? If, if where His presence is, I can find freedom and breakthrough and healing and revelation to see the truth of His Word that sets me free, then I need to be there. Where is the Spirit of God? In First Kings, we read that Elijah discovered it wasn't in the wind. God wasn't in the earthquake. In that instance, He wasn't even in the fire, but He was in the small whisper. In Matthew 18, 20, it says, where anybody is gathered in the name of Jesus, God is present with them. God is physically present in our church services. He is here with us in the room right now. He's with you when you gather in your small group. He's with you in your home, when you gather as a family to pray. The Holy Spirit has His ear to the ground. And the moment He hears that there's a couple of people gathering in the name of Jesus, He just invites Himself to the party. And when the Holy Spirit is present, it's like all of heaven floods your life. The grasp of addiction on your life begins to melt away. The torment of repetitive, unhealthy thought patterns gets bound up. Your body experiences supernatural physical healing, like physical healing for real, not just like a sped up recovery, which is sometimes what He does, but I was broken and now I'm whole. I was injured and the pain is gone. The cancer was there and it's disappeared. And we're gonna be praying for that tonight when we come together again. When you're in God's presence, it's like this peace comes flooding in that allows you to go, I can just be a child in this moment. I can just be still before my Father and I don't need to perform and measure up. I can just be me. It's like the chains from your past are broken and you can dance like the weight has been lifted. We sang it earlier and I'm telling you, you dance differently when the weight has been lifted. I wanna re-mention the words of Paul earlier. To those who believe, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you? Maybe you're like some of those people in that time were like, no, I never even heard there was a Holy Spirit. Or I heard the name, but I didn't know what to do with him. So I sort of just put him in the corner and mention his name sometimes that I don't really know how to interact. He is God. He is here. He wants to know you. He wants to be close. He wants to be in your life to empower you, to bring brand new life and to set you free. There is new life. There is a calling with heaven's backing and there is an empowerment to make a difference that is available to you right now today and it's freely on offer to everybody who would put their faith in the victory of Jesus on the cross.